Hello, and welcome to the Equity Foundation podcast. The Equity Foundation is the professional development arm of Actors' Equity. Our mission is to assist, educate, and inspire performers. To find out more, visit www.equityfoundation.org.au. Welcome, everybody, to this panel. Uh, And thank you to Equity and MEAA for having me here to moderate this amazing event. Uh, I'm I'm delighted and also surprised as my behaviour in the past has been anything but moderate. Um, But although I'd like to project the epitome of cool, calm, collected person up on stage, I'm actually like Tom Cruise in the horrible Oprah Winfrey couch moment, sitting in such fine company of these four wonderful film practitioners. Uh, I um, am sorry to say that Rachel Ward, who was supposed to be here today, her flight was delayed, so uh, uh, Rachel, wherever you are, you're here in spirit. Um, But here we are, four female filmmakers at the front line. Yes, today has been brought to you by the the letter F. I am going to introduce these wonderful panellists. I was going to abbreviate their their credits because they just read on and on and on, but I'm not going to. (laughs) Gillian Armstrong. Yes. Oh, yes. Gillian first garnered attention for her debut feature, My Brilliant Career, in 1979. She held the distinction of being the first woman to direct a feature-length movie in Australia in almost 50 years. So we'll be talking about that soon. She has so many credits, feature films and documentaries to mention. She's the first president of the Australian Directors Guild, has received an AM for services to the Australian film industry, a Doctor of Letters from the University of New South Wales and the University of Sydney, and an honorary doctorate in film from Swinburne University. In 2007, Gillian was awarded an ADG Outstanding Achievement Award, and in 2008, the Women in Hollywood Icon Award in recognition of her contribution to the film industry. Yes. But, yes, no, no, hold on, let me tell, I've got to say this one. Most recently, Gillian was the recipient of the Cinefest Oz 2016 Screen Legend Award for Outstanding Achievements as an Australian Director. (laughs) Wonderful. But it doesn't stop there. Sue Maslin. Sue is, yes. is one of Australia's most successful film, television and digital content practitioners with a track record of creating award-winning feature and documentary films. Her feature credits include Road to Nil, Japanese Story, Celebrity, Dominic Dunn and Hunt Angels. Her most recent is a smash hit, The Dressmaker. Starring, of course, Kate Winslet and Judy Davis. It grossed more than 20 million at the box office and garnered the highest number of nominations at the 2015 Australian Academy Awards, winning five, including the coveted People's Choice Award for Favourite Australian Film. She is currently the patron of Women in Film and Television and the president of the Natalie Miller Fellowship, an organisation dedicated to inspiring leadership and increasing the participation of women in the screen industry, which is absolutely appropriate for today's agenda. I think. (laughs) 
Nadia Tass. Awarded. See, look at this. My heart's racing. <laughs> you asked for it. <laughs> uh, awarded the 2014 Screen Leader Award for Outstanding Leadership, Achievement and Service to the Screen Industry. Nadia is one of Australia's most iconoclastic directors of both stage and screen. Her experience as theatre director is extensive and diverse. Dire has directed so many theatre productions, I can't even mention them uh, all. Uh, you, you directed the commercial hit, she directed the commercial hit, The Lion, The Witch and the Wardrobe, which toured Australia and New Zealand and garnered a nomination for Best Director of a Musical at the Helpman Awards. She is internationally known as a film director. Her works include Malcolm, which received 21 international awards, Ricky and Pete, The Big Steel, Pure Luck, Mr. Reliable, Amy, which uh, garnered 28 international awards, including two at the Cannes Film Festival. She's also directed the mini-series Stark for the BBC. Nadia Tass. Yes. Anna Kokonos. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Writer and director, Anna's career spans film and television. Her feature film, Blessed, in 2009, premiered at the Melbourne International Film Festival and was selected for main competition at San Sebastian, as well as for official selection at the Toronto, London, Palm Springs and the Giffoni Children's Film Festival. Her, feature, her first full-length uh, full feature, Head On, was selected for Director's Fortnight at Cannes. Her other films include The Book of Revelation and Only the Brave, which won three AFIs, including Best Film. She has numerous TV credits uh, and has just finished filming, and I believe just locked off, Seven Types of Ambiguity for producer Amanda Higgs at the ABC. Anna was a board member of Film Victoria for nine years and was an industry mentor at the Australian Film, Television and Radio School in 2007. In 2010, Anna was honoured at the Seattle International Film Festival as an emerging, emerging master filmmaker. The panel. <laughs> uh, now, these extraordinary women have uh, been part of the backbone of Australian, uh, the Australian industry, the, the continuing uh, growth of, of the industry here, and, and this... Uh, summit is, is uh, very much based around gender and which is on the agenda. So I'm going to start uh, and, and what, what better uh, way to be able to introduce this, this agenda than having an, uh, an all-female uh, panel today. So I'm going to start with you, Gillian. Um, you were a trailblazer with your film, My Brilliant Career, and, and you were the first a woman, female director of a feature film in 50 years. I was wondering if you could tell us what it was like for you back then. Sure. Uh, is that working? I think so. Is it working? It is? All right. Funny. Can't hear anything. Um, well, uh, first of all, the 50 years thing, I always wanted to say that I think we should feel very proud. We actually had a woman producer, director, writer, star team. They were sisters, the McDonough sisters. Um, so that's why I would have preferred to have been the first but um, they outdid me. Um, they were very successful in the 30s and when we had a really, um, we had actually a, a really popular um, film industry 
and I'm, and I'm going to add this a little bit because I think it's it's important for you all to know that it, industries can die because we should all keep fighting to have our own and our own voices. Um, so yes, the American distributors came in, bought up all the cinemas, so Charles Chevelle, Longford and the McDonough sisters all went bust. So anyway, 50 years later, when we um, had an Australian Film Commission, which was set up to invest in Australian films, Australian stories, Australian talent, Australian actors, um, I got my first break, which was my brilliant career. Um, you ask, um, well, they said things like, um, will she fall over in the desert? Um, uh, will it cut together? Um, people stuck their head in the cutting room to say, you know, like meaning can a you know, girl work out how shots go together? Um, as well as, you know, would a girl faint in the bush shooting the film? Um, but that was a long time ago. Um, they don't say that anymore. But the thing I want to say while I'm here, and I'm sorry, I'm already talking too long. I told you this no, is going to be No, you don't issue. keep talking. So, 18 months ago. So, yeah, I broke the glass ceiling. Many wonderful Australian directors followed me. Um, and also, you know, those other little ones like Jane Campion and, and, <laughs> and Jocelyn, Jocelyn Morehouse, who I'm sorry she's not here. She's normally on every panel with me. Um, yep. So, and I thought... Um, how great. We were actually leading the world with a number of women directors around about that time because I you know, went to Hollywood and then I found out how much worse it was there. It was worse because it was an industry, um, a business, whereas here we were supported, we were an arts industry supported by the government. Um, so I think, you know, that's why it was really talent-based. Um, so 18 months ago, I'm standing at the film school. They launched this magazine, Lumina, which has done, um, which is, it's Sandra Levy's sort of last dash because she was retiring and it was featuring women and stories about women and amongst it was a story with facts that RMIT had done a survey, good old Melbourne, and this is what the thing that shocked me. It said um, the general industry perception that is us who work in it is that they're now like 45% women directing, writing and directing, and but the reality is it's actually 18%. And I was just so shocked. I thought, this is actually 40 years since my brilliant career, and there are only 18% of women directing dramas in Australia. There's more in documentaries, because as we all know, documentary work is like being a nun and a priest. You know, you earn no money and you spend 20 years because you want to save the world. Um, but I think, you know, so that's a different issue. So obviously a lot more women do that. Um, because they're, 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 in the end, want to save the world more than be stars and be rich, perhaps. Um, or, or have their voice as artists shown, which I think is one of the really important things, why this matters. So I went to the head of our Directors Guild and I said, Kingston, this is just crazy. This has gone on for so long. There have been so many panels. We've all talked about it. I've been interviewed every second interview for my entire life is, you know, why aren't there more women directors? And I've always gone, well, I made it, like, so I don't understand. And I, you know, truly have to say I was a little bit selfish and a bit like, well, you know, it's merit-based, isn't it? And it was so clear it is not merit-based. It is not a level playing field. There is a reason. So if you look at it, just as many talented young women are going to film school. I've, asked, I've actually just been at the International Film School Conference in Brisbane, still banging on about this. As you can tell, it's been my life's work the last year. 50-50 young women, young men, 
even more young women winning short film awards, then they're not getting their foot in the door. There's a big gap. The boys are getting headhunted by generally production houses who produce commercials because there's a whole... Well, there's two things. One, I think there's a sense that um, if we look at the ads, there's like a boyo sense of humour, like boyo gross out, which is crazy if you think about it because actually we are the most powerful purchasers in the world. And secondly, and I've since read like the British Film Institute report, which I'm sure you read too because you've been on a million panels with me as well, and basically it's this. There is an unconscious bias towards women as directors. It's not conscious in that they're not saying, oh, like in the old days with me, oh, she might fall over or faint or she won't understand the technical side. It's just a belief that a director is a man in a baseball cap, not a girl in a baseball cap. And they think of the word girl. So our association then formed an action committee that I was invited to be part of and we lobbied Screen Australia and Screen New South Wales and I've got to say, the first reaction from Screen Australia was, oh, well, we don't know because we're really trying to push for diversity. And I said, we all said, well, that's great, but actually we, you know, we want to push for diversity as well, but women are 50% of the population and you are funding films with our money, our taxpayers' money. And so with a little bit of argy-barging and so on, they came on board, they found a pocket of money and it's development money, but they've set up an... an and very quickly, I've got to say, they have to be praised for a government department that they did so fast and announced this big gender matters. So there's money. This is, it's the key creatives. We're talking about writers and directors. And in the end, this affects you as actors because they're probably... I don't think there's any rules. Um, women don't have to just make films about women, but we should be able to have our point of view about anything we like. We might want to make a film with many men or we might want to make a film with a dog, but it's our point of view... And as you see us, we're very different. You know, that's the other thing. It's a terrible cliche. All the time they'd say to me, you're a woman director, you know, and they think, so I'm just interested in women or I'm interested in women's rights. And I'm like, no, I'm a filmmaker. So, you know, I don't want that label. But to cut, to shut up fast so everyone else okay. have a chance. Um, Five seconds. So, yes, <laughs> so that's fantastic they've come on board, but they've got to keep going. Screen New South Wales was much braver. Um, Courtney Gibson, Screen New South Wales, went, I'm putting a target. Now, we had held up the target thing as an example because the Swedish Film Institute did this and it was had an amazing effect. So they put a target which was within, I don't know, five or six years. So it was at six years to get there. So in six years, their funding was going to be 50-50 male-female towards key creatives. Within two years... You know, in Sweden. Oh, yeah, Sweden. In, so in Sweden. Because I'll ask you, Sue, yeah. because I know you're part of the task force for the initiative, the Screen Australia initiative for the Gender Matters, so maybe you can expand on that for us. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the, the, the we've, we've held this up as an example, the Swedish Film Institute. Within two years, they had slightly lower figures than us. I think they were like 16% or something. Within, They thought it was going to take six years to get to an equal thing, and that in two years they got to 45%. Um, women directors. I actually met the head of the Swedish Film Institute in Toronto the year before last and said, you are our you know, hero. And she said, well, I'm even prouder because this year we have 11 films selected for Toronto and they're all directed by women. Um, so, 
And Screen New South Wales, um, Sue can go on with she because you know she's learnt all the figures and she's produced she remembers them better than me. <laughs> I'm just the, the the wobbling artist. Screen New South Wales followed that example and they said with that their target is in how many years? It was to Maybe be fifty fifty by twenty twenty, so. and they've achieved forty six percent in twelve months. In twelve months, it's gone up. Yep, from the eighteen percent to 46% in one year. So we're still lobbying Screen Australia who are not happy about the target idea and saying it works. What it does, it makes people think about it if they're going to get money at the end of the rainbow. But And what Courtney said to me is none of the projects that we've funded that now have women directors or writers in the key roles are in any way secondary. You know, it's not like we're always scraping the bottom of the barrel to give a, you know, go, a woman a go. So, mm -hmm. so that is an important thing, and I'll now shut up. Thank you, Gillian. <laughs> uh, uh, Sue, do you, do you have anything else that you would like to add to that, knowing that you are, you've been part of this whole initiative? Yeah. And Look, I'd just like to talk a little bit about why this actually really, really matters and why it's so important that we have more women directors. Uh, Lisa French is actually in the, the audience and uh, did that initial research at RMIT and then <laughs> Screen Australia Stand subsequently. <laughs> so people can... <laughs> and I wanted to single out, Lisa, because you have been doing research for many years. You actually cannot change and do good policy without uh, the evidence, without the, the figures speak for themselves. So Screen Australia did look at the last 15 years and they actually came up with a figure that's a lot worse. So the number, the percentage of all directors um, over the last 15 years, women only 16%. Over, I looked at it over the last five years to 2015 and it was actually worse than that, it was 14%. Now, why this is important is that when women do get the opportunity to direct, and in the last five years, there were 203 films. There were only 30 women that uh, got to direct. More than 70% of their films are actually have female protagonists. That is stories about and driven by women. Men, on the other hand, the 173 men, around 15% were stories about or driven by women. So it's an absolute truism that men, by and, large, by and large, male directors will make films about what they know and what they're interested in. That tends to be replicating the fact that they're interested in, in male stories. Even when they're directing animals, you know, Happy Feet, um, Red Dog, um, Babe, they're, they're all male animals, <laughs> even the animations. No, seriously, it's that bad. So, so what we have is a, a missing story and a, a terrible cultural gap that the only way that we can address that is to start to um, name the problem and I think that is what has happened over the past 12 months. The momentum has been phenomenal. It's across the board. I mean, Film Victoria has been doing extraordinary things here in our state. Screen New South Wales, Screen Australia, um, the guilds. Is, is Film Victoria? Because yes, um, in I terms of leadership. recently at a regional women's mm. workshop, which was, they were funded mm. by the Gender Matters, and um, the representatives from every state there, but not Film Victoria. There's different strategies in each state. So here in uh, Victoria, um, Jenny Tozzi, again, our CEO of Film Victoria, has been a champion for years for women in the industry. And 
there have been uh, uh, different kinds of initiatives. So one of the initiatives here is to try and get, you know, more women into leadership and producing roles, that, that kind of thing, because of the flow and effect. So I guess just, you know, just winding that up, um, it does matter. It does, and that cultural, you know, um, initiatives and policy initiatives alone, though, are not going to be enough. So, for instance, at the moment, Screen Australia, as you're probably all aware, had the Gender Matters program, which took away the barriers for women applying for development for television, digital media and feature ideas, and just said, come to us. We've got a $5 million fund here. I think they're using $3 million for stories. And they were overwhelmed, over 500 applications. And there's around you know, 300 uh, that were uh, then came through the door for stories. And I think there's like another you know, 50 or 60 projects now in development. Now, that alone is not going to solve the problem because what it does is create a, a body of work coming through but hits a constricted pipeline. And that pipeline is the connection with the marketplace. So the distributors, the exhibitors, the culture that sits around where those films go to be greenlit and actually get, even if they're lucky enough to get made, and it's that hard to make anything. No wonder Laura Ziskin years ago sort of said, Films don't get made, they get forced into existence. It's that hard that once you do get a film made and you've got it there ready to go out to the market, then you're facing yet another hurdle and that is just getting a screen. That's another whole story I won't go into at the moment. But who is programming? At the, in this country, we have less than five women programmers deciding year in, year out, what goes on our cinema screens around this country. So it needs to be tackled from both ends. And, and all the um, distributors are male, correct? Yeah. By and large. So, and large. so you should tell your story about the dressmaker, that you, I mean, it's true that you I will get a I will come back to that because I want to throw that open to Nadia as well. Uh, have <laughs> you can take a sip if you like, Nadia. Uh, <laughs> Shall I take a sip or not? Uh, uh, that even, you know, because it's, it's interesting, you, na you name the pipeline, that you know, the, the distributors, the programmers. Uh, and 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 what we can do, because I'm sure that there are uh, people out there that would like to know or would like to answer the quest, ask the question of what can we do as as practitioners and people involved in the industry to keep uh, to, to ask those questions and and to to force more e equality and how we can do that. Do you have any answer to that, Nadia? Because the other the other half of the question as well is um, you didn't just meet the, the barrier of, in terms of gender, but also your film Malcolm wasn't, uh, it wasn't until international regard that the Australian industry received the film here and suddenly wanted to dis distribute it, right? Uh, well, um, unlike Gillian and Sue, I'm not on panels and I, because I am so busy with my other work as well, which is theatre directing, but uh, I absolutely empathise and sympathise with this whole concept. And just to quote Madeleine Albright, she said, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women. <laughs> so certainly from a personal perspective, what I do is I open the doors to women who want to be part of my work and who want to be assistant director, be, the, be it 
uh, in a theater production or a, a film. And one of, um, not the last film that I did, but the, pr uh, the previous film that I shot in Queensland, I have had five attachments. That was a little bit difficult, I must admit, because at the end of the day, I want th wanted the experience to really, uh, you know, to, to be useful for each of them. There were five female attachments. Uh, five female and one male mm -hmm. that I palmed off to the production office. <laughs> and so to make the experience really work for them, be beneficial for them so that they weren't just taking their own notes but they had the ability to ask questions, every Friday night we would have a drink together. And that gave them the opportunity to discuss things that were not clear to them. Now, of those five women, one of them has married and gone into, uh, sh dare I say, <laughs> gone into inactivity uh, on the film front, but four of them are active. And that really is so pleasing that those four women have benefited from the experience of being on set and watching the process. So being part of the uh, ADG, I actually I am on the board of the ADG, so I'm very, very in favour of the attachment program that exists there. And I, 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 I look at the applicants who want to go on and be attachments to make sure that the right people are getting the opportunity. Beyond or before that uh, these young people, young women, come to the attachment program, I'm also involved with uh, a whole lot of graduates, people who graduate, say, for example, this year I've been doing a whole lot of marking, looking at, at people's work. And strange, uh, not strangely enough, it was an absolute joy the other day to find that one of the major institutions in Australia, the work that I responded to most was was made by a female and it was so far superior to the rest. And that really pleased me because 10 years ago, when I was doing the same work, the female uh, product was not necessarily as good as what it is now. So something is happening long along the way that's really encouraging women to go out there and test their ideas. Now, part of that uh, testing, part of that preparation to arrive at the point where you're directing your film, I think it's very much a cultural and uh, there are three areas that I think we need to really be aware of. One is the home, how much support and how much encouragement is given to those girls in the home. S in my home, I was told that I could do anything. And I was told that I could become president of America if I wanted to. Now, I pulled my dad aside and I said, Dad, I don't think that's possible. He said, it's possible. You can change the rules. <laughs> okay. The other thing is uh, Fitzroy High School was an amazing place for me to be. Lauriston, where I went for three days was not an amazing place for me to be. <laughs> uh, the character just didn't fit. 
So the school was incredibly supportive in what I wanted to explore and it never, never told me that I couldn't really do it. And then my social group, amongst my social group, it was really important to take the lead and exercise what I wanted to do. So th these are the three areas that I think we need to look at and make sure that the women are being encouraged or the girls, the young girls, are being encouraged to think as individuals and follow through with that. Part of that follow through, I believe, is making sure that those skills that they acquire are absolutely not inferior to what the boys' skills are. On my very first film, which was Malcolm, I had a, a similar experience to Gillian where she was told that she was going to fall over in the desert. For me, I was in Flemington. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, um, and uh, the grips and electrics, after being told exactly where I wanted the track and where I wanted the camera and what lens I wanted to use, they stood on the side arms folded, this is a group of about six guys, and watched me and waited for me to just go and shoot even though what they prepared was completely wrong. So I pulled them up and I said, that's not where the track, that's not where I said the track needs to be. This is the wrong lens and uh, everything you've prepared is not what I asked for. And they said, oh, but you asked for something that was impossible. And I said, no, it's not. So fix it. Now, that was on my first film. <laughs> so what I want to... The reason I'm telling you this is because I want to... Excuse me, were you head girl at Fitzroy High? Yes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> do you, do you, Nadia, do you, do you find now that you, as, as you've uh, along this path now and where you sit now, that you're still met with a resistance from people because you've carved an amazing name for yourself in the industry here. Do, do you find that people now that you work with, they're absolutely going to do whatever you ask them to do because you have, you have uh, you're sitting in the industry now. They, they in shake in, the boot, yeah. in their boots when they see you coming <laughs> out. <laughs> Uh, and and behind the boots, they say, oh, the bitch is here. <laughs> but does it matter to me? It doesn't. You see, I don't need to be liked. I need to really create the dream, the vision that I have. And this is where I think, as women, we need to really move forward. Forward in a way that we don't really, and I, forgive me for, for sounding like I'm preaching now, but... I don't think we should really care whether we're liked or not. Uh, I, 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 on that note, I'd like to extend a welcome to all the male audience members and say thank you very much for joining in this conversation as well because it is about gender and there are two and genders. And we do like over, you. Uh, uh, there are lots of genders, but uh, just to embrace the male... Because it's, it's up to you to help change the, the, the scape of the industry as well by you know, regarding uh, female filmmakers and practitioners as equally as uh, males. So 
I just Anna, hi. I just wanted to ask you much more, just taking it away more from uh, from gender and just talking to you about your films and the work that you do. Very, very bold, courageous work and characters, your films. Uh, how has that set for you in, in in mainstream Australian cinema? Because your work it, it goes against convention a lot of the time. Well, it's set pretty well, I think. Good, I think so too. But did you find um, that difficult uh, in terms of telling those stories? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, you're talking more about my kind of practice as a filmmaker and I guess that in some respects, um, uh, in fact, I was talking to a producer recently who kind of said, you're really out there, you're really bold and you're really uncompromising. And it, in the context of the conversation we were having, it kind of had a negative connotation. And somehow, being bold and or I take that bold. I take that bold, everybody. <laughs> somehow was problematic for me as a woman. And I kind of thought about that for two seconds and I said, but if I was a male director, I would be applauded for that. If I was a male director, I would be celebrated for this kind of boldness, sort of this provocative kind of voice, etc., etc. So... Um, in that sense, uh, I think that where I draw my inspiration and my kind of courage from is actually the audiences and the people that I speak to who are generally uh, marginalised, who are generally people who are not insiders, who are generally people, those who are outside the mainstream who come to me and say, thank God we have a voice like yours in our industry that actually has gender diversity, that has cultural diversity, that has sexual diversity and that has a range of diversities uh, that sit within the work that you do. So um, I think that in that sense, uh, uh, I've sprung up for very particular reasons, personal reasons, creative reasons, cultural reasons, uh, artistic reasons. And so I'm very proud of the work and the contribution that I've made to the industry because it has been an outsider's voice. It has come from a place of adversity and it has come in a manner that actually enables all the wonderful actors that I've worked with who come from different backgrounds, all the people, for example, who live in less kind of, um, uh, you know, like, you know, if I, if I look at the way in which I've tackled class in my work, it's been a very relevant thing for a whole lot of people who generally feel they're not being represented on screen in some way, who are not being spoken to. So as a practice, I think, um, you know, as an, an artist, I think I feel uh, that I have an enormous amount of respect in terms of that contribution. But I still think that um, I'm pushing shit uphill on all kinds of levels. I still am not seeing, for example, after 15 or 16 years, bold, diverse voices happening that represent cultural diversity on our film screens like Head On did 15 years ago. I thought Head On was going to spawn another 10 Head Ons from Cambodian Australian filmmakers, from Vietnamese Australian filmmakers, from Sudanese Australian filmmakers, but that hasn't been the case. And we've got to really look at those questions and understand what are the barriers to access to our industry for culturally diverse people who do not represent the mainstream, who are not basically white men. And that, I think, is a major problem. And I think it's a major issue.
Let me kind of now add something to the question of gender diversity, which is, of course, like the pivotal question that I think we're talking about today. And that is that Screen New South Wales, in the last five months, since they introduced targets, the, the recent, I went onto their website to see, uh, to actually try and get the statements that they'd made in relation to their announcements. And they're incredibly positive announcements. And the announcements were fundamentally this. If you want to do business with us, you actually have to have female participation in your mix of pro uh, uh, projects that you bring to us. Okay? Now, that is a really profoundly different statement to, for example, and I applaud Screen Australia for what they've done, but there's a subtle difference between these two things. One is saying, if you want to do business with us, you must have women in the mix, in the creative mix. The result of that has been in five months, and I actually have the figures with me, and that is that they have increased their female participation from something like 16% to 52% within five months. Okay. Amazing. Now, let's just talk about those kind of very specific targets that they have actually introduced. Within five months, they've said, this is how we want to do business and they are the sorts of results we're getting. Now, the gender matters stuff has been brilliant in terms of uh, what it has done in terms of creating um, money and funding available to a whole range of female practitioners to develop their projects and I applaud it. But I also worry about it from the point of view of saying it's a one-off. They have been very explicit in saying it's a one-off. They're not saying we are systemically trying to deal with this problem, which is an entrenched problem. It's been here for 40 years. Uh, decades of non-representation or inadequate representation of, of, of women in the industry, particularly in the key creative roles. So we've got to ask ourselves, yes, it's a great initiative, but we now need to examine what the, what the statistics keep telling us and what the academic research keeps telling us, which is Screen New South Wales puts a target in, Screen Australia put a, don't put any targets in. They say they vaguely want to try and address the problem. As of this week, of the nine feature films that were announced for production funding, there were nine, if we just do a quick analysis, and I looked on the website about the recent funding announcements, there were nine female directors uh, sorry, nine male directors of that production funding uh, round, zero female directors. Okay? So it's sounding tokenistic, the idea there. So my concern is this. It is sounding rather tokenistic that we say that on the one hand we're going to generate and stimulate female participation and yet the most recent funding round actually has uh, just announced nine feature films, nine of which will all be directed by men. So, we've got to keep looking at these statistics. We've got to keep analysing what they're telling us. And what are they really telling us? They, what are they telling us? Because one of the other comments I saw from a Screen Australia representative about gender, gender matters was, we actually need to get the confidence of women up. Okay. So, here, here's what I think. Here's what I think. That fundamentally... Go, Anna. 
that is an erroneous assumption. Because if we keep saying that it's actually our fault, that women are the problem, okay, then we're going to be behind the eight ball. I think we've got to be saying that the key problem is not if we put a better business case to everybody, we'll get more of the pie. If we show that equal opportunity is good for business, we might get more of the pie. If we fix ourselves, if we look better, if we actually are more assertive, if we can prove that we're better leaders, if we do all these things, if we fix ourselves, then maybe we too will get a bit more of the pie. The fact of the matter is, is that if we're, um, you know, we have to be twice as good as the men in order to get more of the pie. Let's call it. Let's say finally that in reality, we are not the problem. We are not the problem. Men and women together are the problem, actually. But men, generally speaking, in this very gender-biased system that we're all in and in the industry that we're all in, have a tendency to want to actually work together. They have a tendency to work in certain ways. And we've got to start analysing how, what is that really telling us and how is that in, impacting on the kind of productions we make, on the kinds of stories we, we tell. So really what I'm fundamentally saying is that I actually think we have to put targets on the agenda in the same way that, for example, the Victorian government a, a year ago announced that all boards should have an increased representation of women. And in fact, not only are we saying we want it, we're, uh, we're telling you that you have to do it, What's happened as a result? Female representation has increased. So I think we've got to call it, I think we've got to name it, and I think we've got to ask for targets. Thank you, Anna. That's great. Because I got a phone call from Penny Wynn, who's the head of, pro uh, head of drama at Foxtel. Uh, phone call. I got an email. And uh, I, a little part of me died when it wasn't a job offer. Uh, but then immediately grew because it was the link to Jill Soloway's talk that she, heard the keynote speech that she gave at Toronto this year at TIFF. I don't know if you have had the opportunity to see it. Uh, I implore everybody in this audience to watch it. Hands up who, who've seen it. It's, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal piece of, of insight into, into gender, into uh, women... Uh, being the object of, of cinema rather than the subject. Uh, and and I, I implore all of you to see it. It's, it's wonderful. And, and just echoing everything that you women have been saying today. No, that's great. Can I just say one thing? I absolutely agree with Anna. And as I've said, I've been asked about this over and over and over for all these years. I was in Toronto the year before. There was a panel. There were um, studio executives from, you know, Warners and so on, all saying we're doing initiatives and everything. I could not stand any longer. I stood up, I put my hand up to ask a question, somebody else asked something about sound when I nearly went mad. <laughs> I finally got the microphone, I stood up and I said, I was in Toronto 32 years ago directing my first American feature, Mrs. Sofal. People were still saying, discussing this subject then. I said, you know what? No more discussion. We have to have change, and change has to be real and has to be active. Every woman who has got through that glass ceiling 
They were all the head girls. They worked so hard. They're so talented. The point is that all the women that got there have been incredible. When we have true equality, it will actually be that there were just as many mediocre women directing as mediocre men. <laughs> and this isn't just something that we're all talking about to, like, get a job. You've got to think of it in the big picture. Who's telling the stories? What are those stories saying? What is the point of view? So I'll give you two small examples. So when I did my Brilliant Care all those years ago, I was developing it. I had a low-budget feature as well. I was very nervous. Everyone said to me, you know, my friends, like, it's a really risky thing to do such a big film as your first film, you know. And it was one comment by a man who was a good friend of mine, was probably my partner, who said something like, well, who are you going to cast? Because in the book, the, the girl goes on and on about how ugly she is. And I went... I have to direct this film because as sweet and wonderful as he is, he doesn't know what it's like to be a girl. He doesn't know every girl, teenage girl, stands in front of a mirror thinking how ugly she is, even if she's one of the most beautiful people in the world. You stood in front of a mirror once and thought how ugly you were. I went, I have to do this because a man will stuff it up. They don't understand what it's like to be a teenage girl. And how many films have we seen? I know so much about what it's like to be a teenage boy. I know what it's like to fall in love with the most beautiful girl at high school and be the nerd because there have been so many bloody films made about a male coming of age. And all those nerds grew up to be screenwriters and they all wrote about their childhoods. Uh, it, oh, sorry, the but, second one. Okay. Oh. <laughs> so we had one tiny issue with the, uh, our distributor with um, My Brilliant Career, and he was worried. And this is a, a really important point to, that you all realise that male broadcasters and male distributors are deciding what they think you want to see as stories. So our distributor, who was lovely and was a film buff and always Kim Williams' father, David Williams, he was worried because the end of My Brilliant Career is quite radical because... Our lovely couple don't end up together. The girl said no. And he was really worried because women wouldn't like that because women want happily ever after. I could not believe it, neither could Margaret Fink. So we re anyway, we really, really fought. We, we finally screened our cut. And luckily he turned to me and said, the end works because he you know, was really nervous about it. And, of course, the, the thing was that it was so radical. That's what why it worked around the world and that's why, you know, people related to it around the world because it actually had a different ending and it wasn't one that um, women expected. But to think that it was a man in power who was funding our film, that's what he thought would make women happy. He decided, and you have so many men deciding what stories you're going to see. So I want to fast forward now 35 years yep. um, to the story of... The dressmaker. Great, because I was about to and ask exactly you about that. Exactly being in this position of five years ago, let me tell you, it was not fashionable to be pitching a film that was written by a woman, directed by a woman, based on a novel by a best-selling novel by a woman, and about a seamstress who rolls into a small country Australian country town with a Singer sewing machine with a bit of revenge on her mind. You know instead of, uh, you know, a six-shooter, that she's going to stir things up a bit. And so when I pitched the film, and I did talk to all the major distributors, here in this country, that means you're talking to, you know, mostly blokes. In fact, I think at that time it was exclusively blokes. Some great blokes amongst them, but um, at the end, 
they um, said, well, sounds like a really interesting idea. You know, we like the ideas you have for cast. At that point, I didn't have um, Kate attached, but I was certainly talking about the, the level of um, cast that we wanted. And, but the reaction was almost universal, and that is, good idea, but um, so it's female skewed, marginal, marginal audience. Marginal means not commercial. Marginal means high risk. Marginal means mm, even if we did get involved, we're not going to be putting you know, a lot of uh, money up front. And in fact, one of the, you know, the distributors turned it down straight away and just said, look, it just appeals to women, you know, the script. And you just go, hang on, you know, we're more than 50% of the audience. We all know we go to the movies. Not only do we go to the movies, we go with our friends, we go in groups, we take our, you know, partners, our kids, whatever. I mean, women go to the movies. Now, interestingly enough, one of the things that the Jenny Davis Institute and others have been doing over the last number of years has been tracking just, you know, the portrayal of women in the movies and who is going to the movies. We actually had Madeline yes, uh, it, it, this, this morning. morning. So I'm so not going to recap yeah. her stuff because I know what, uh, you know, she would have um, presented. But the very fact is that most audiences around the world are, and they don't talk about numbers, you might notice, they talk about box office. Here in this country, they're terrible. They do not talk about numbers because... The numbers are terrifying. The numbers have plateaued and are in decline. And they've only been covered up by box office because they invent new, you know, gold classes and 3D and new experiences that bump up the box office to mask the fact that less people are going to the movies. With one notable exception. Guess who? Women. 35 plus is the only growing demographic at the moment. So... Fast forward to, you know, a year later, I did have Kate Winslet attached and I had Judy Davis attached and, you know, we're making a film, directed, produced, written by, based on a best-selling novel about a seamstress, very female-focused and with all of those attachments in place, the question that I was asked by, my, again, my male um, sales agent was, Sue, I cannot get this film, I cannot get the pre-sales and get the gap that you need for this film unless you cast a A-list male actor. So it's not enough to have, uh, you know, all of those female attachments in place. So we had to go out and find an A-list male actor. Thank God for Liam Hemsworth. <laughs> Wonderful. But, I mean, it's absurd. This is, you know, a film that was skewed female. Anyway, fast forward four years after that, last year, uh, there has been a shift. There has been a recognition that for the right kind of film, if it connects with women, and here in this country, I think the dressmaker's shown once and for all, that is a commercial demographic. That is a reason why distributors should get behind, you know, gutsy, strong films that are about women, targeted to women. They cannot use that excuse again now. Um, can Fantastic. I just say... Yes. The, uh, just talking about distributors. Distributors... Uh, will always want to say no because they're, they're terrified, they're going to make a mistake. And even when a film is finished, like Malcolm, we had the screening of Malcolm, we didn't have uh, a distributor, so all the distributors were at the Longford Cinema in Turak Road. And at the end of that screen, and I'm sitting at the back of that screening trying to gauge how this film is working with these distributors. 
I, I knew it was working with them. My expectation at the end of that was that we were going to end up with a distributor. We come out of that screening and there was rejection from all of them. And one of the distributors, the Hoyts person, Jonathan Chiswick, said, um, I, um, I think it, it's, it's okay. His connection to the film was incredible. I saw it. However, he said, it's okay, but I think we're gonna have, you're going to have to re-edit it. It has to be either a comedy or a drama. Now, the, my co-producers were, were really affected by this reaction from the distributors. Now, I, I was determined that this film worked. I knew it worked. I directed Chekhov. I directed a whole lot of classics and I knew that comedy and drama sat side by side. There was no reason why an Australian film couldn't have this mix in it. And so we decided after a lot of discussion with my co-producers that, that we really weren't going to say, you know, we weren't going to accept the circumstance. And so we took the film to the American film market at the American film market, we worked our butts off to make sure that distributors from all over the world came to the screening that we had. At the end of that screening, we had a bidding war on our hands in the foyer. And the Hoyts person came up and said, what is it with your little film? And the answer at that point was, I don't know but you're going to have to pay a lot more for it now. <laughs> but, but that's partly cultural cringe, right? That's yeah, yeah. Because yes. the same thing they said yes. to me, we, we will try and get Brilliant Career in a foreign festival before we open in Australia because no one in Australia will think it's any good until they hear from overseas. And I think there's still that, you know, um, sense. Yeah. That we're, we're so hard on our own, yeah, and we're, and we're not going to see our films. And and so don't take no for an answer from distributors. Uh, it's it's proven. I mean, we've got so many of us here talking about distributor difficulties. I know that the there's uh, some other panels that are happening tomorrow uh, uh, around what can we do inside the industry to help. Uh, the growth of females in film and and supporting gender equality. Uh, this this panel was uh, a little bit more focused on all four of you, but I love the way that it's gone that way. Anyway, so let's just stick with it. And you guys, if you want to, when we open up the floor, you can, if you would like to direct the questions more personally to the history of everyone's um, practice, that's fine. But I just wanted to ask you, there'd be a few people in here that uh, you know, are burgeoning, blossoming filmmakers. Can uh, I say one thing about how yes. they could support? So but that's what I was going to ask you. So, <laughs> uh, sometimes when we've been trying to raise money and, and get, uh, get Australian actors, sometimes your agents want huge fees and our films fall over, you know, wonderful projects we've tried for years. So, you know, sometimes maybe, say, take a risk with a, a director who seems really talented, with a script that's really talented, in, and, and, you know, be part of it. Um, um, make sure that you aren't being, you know, blocked by your agents. Um, especially if it's got a talented woman director or writer. 
So, so we say it's like you know, with with honouring equities, wage. Uh, <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> right? no, except you've got to uh, have your basic. But also oh, yes. do your homework too. Just don't let the don't let the agent stonewall a project because they don't think it's been uh, there's not enough money to be offered. Because do you actively and I'll, I'll put this question out to all of you as well. Uh, search out other female practitioners to work with you. Is it is it do you, to for writers, producers, uh, cinematographers? Well, I love working with um, women directors because I'm really interested in, in making stories, uh, you know, feature stories uh, about women. And by and large, women directors overwhelmingly uh, are interested in exploring women's lives. So, and w once you bring, you know, and uh, to me it does come down to leadership. Once you've got a female producer, a female director, then you are starting to look at, well, who are the women, you know, DOPs out there? Who are the women, you know, heads of department? You, you just start to at least ask the question. I work with both men and women as in the heads of department, but the question gets asked. And, um, and I, I think that's, um, for me, the kind of films that I, that I love making. I do like having a lot of women um, on crews. And do you have any advice for any up-and-coming filmmakers in, in the audience or people that want to write and produce their own material? I do. I think um, one of the really great things that Nadia talked about was her persistence in... I mean, the, the four of us are very persistent women. Um, we are very articulate, we know what we want, and we also go out there and actually fight for things. So the first thing is you actually have to fight for your vision. Um, it's really critical. I was um, a mentor for a young VCA student last year who had completed her short, short film. She, uh, I was asked to read her script and to talk to her about um, her production uh, and also to uh, help look at a few her cuts and actually kind of assist her in just a sort of an overall mentoring role. And what struck me about her work was that she had, of course, a t an utterly female voice, which is why I wanted to mentor her and help her. But what was interesting is she got feedback about a very particular scene she'd shot and it was a very ballsy scene. It was a fantastic scene, but it was very female. And she got comments from all the men who'd seen her who said, cut that scene out, get rid of it. Um, and it was only my intervention where we really talked about the meaning of that scene for her, the, what she was actually trying to, to sort of convey, that she ended up keeping that scene in. And, uh, and I think that without another woman being able to say, I understand what you're doing in this scene, you must hold on to it, that it, was, uh, that it actually stayed in her film. It then went on to win a number of awards, even though the people, um, and this was in a film school context, even though then she virtually got ignored within the, you know, like the, the kind of the end of the year kind of programming. So don't underestimate how tenacious... Um, conscious and unconscious biases towards our work. We need to be practitioners who are able to fight for our artistic vision, but not just our artistic vision, but the way in which we collaborate. And I think it's great that when we women are able to lead productions, either as directors or producers, we tend to bring in different kinds of practitioners. We tend to bring in more women. You know, in my situation, I tend to bring in more actors that come from a diverse range because I am an outsider. And therefore, when you are an outsider, you are also an insider to the problem. 
And the problem remains that in all the work we do, we battle to get gender diversity and cultural diversity on our screens constantly. And I see both of those things kind of linked because, yes, we can talk about 50% gender, which is critical, but what I am constantly seeing is a lack of general cultural diversity. What that does is, is that it basically excludes vast sections of the population. Let's talk about inclusivity. Let's talk about how we include people rather than exclude people. Let's talk about in our practice that we walk in and we say, yeah, I'm going to cast that Greek-Australian actor in a lawyer role. I'm going to cast that person in a lawyer role. No, he's not a Lebanese crook. He's a Greek lawyer. You know, I mean, we're having these battles all the time, but we are the ones that have to have the battles. We are the ones that have actually have to be strong. But in addition to that, we actually have to support each other in the way in which we collaborate, the way in which we seek to be inclusive. And that is really kind of like my big message to young female uh, directors or writers who want to actually, um, uh, you know, not only get into the game, but get skin in the game. Great. Thank you. Uh, I was wondering whether we, is it time to open up the, I don't have a, a timepiece on me, time to open up to the audience. Uh, so if you could uh, put your hand up, please. Someone will give you a mic if you could introduce yourself. That would be great. Thank you. Hello. Hello. Um, my name's Josephine. Uh, something that when I watched the dressmaker, it was funny, um, my husband turned to me and was like, whoa, Liam's a lot younger than she is. And, and I was like, oh, he is, isn't he? And then we kind of thought about it afterwards and we look at, like, there's so many films where the female's 25 and the male's 50 and we don't even bat an eyelid. And it was the first time, that, and he wasn't even that much younger than her, I think he's like nine years younger or something like that. Um, do you think that's something that we need to kind of pay attention to as well? Do you think it's something that will change in future movies? I, I think there's a, a bigger thing at work in the dressmaker than just the, the age difference, although that's exactly, you know, where you notice it most. And that is we're asking audiences to look at the film through the eyes of a woman. The, 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 this perspective, the point of view is an unabashed female point of view and how rare that is in our cinema language. We are, all of us, we're just enculturated to be used to looking through the male point of view. Here in Australia, tragically, I mean, we make between 25 and 35 feature films every year, and I've been looking at this now ever since the early days of setting up women in film and television. Every year we make less than five films that uh, have a female point of view or about a female protagonist. This year is no exception. You just look at the lineup of films that have come out over the last 12 months and you're still down to three or four films a year. So we, uh, there is this thing of when you turn that around and you actually ask audiences, there's a kind of like, mm, what's happening here? And thankfully, it can, it can work and work very well with audiences because quite apart from the fact that women go to the movies and can enjoy that, um, we, you know, we, we know that there, there, is a, there is an audience for that kind of film, but where you come to grief is with the critics. They hate it, by and large, because it's sort of like, oh, what's going on here? You know, clearly 
there's real problems with storytelling and oh, the age thing. I mean, you know, that's completely unbelievable. I mean, how can you possibly have young, gorgeous Liam Hemsworth? But they won't come out and say it overtly. They go, how can this possibly happen? Not understanding that in little country schools, you have a, a one-room schoolhouse with a teacher and you have all the different age groups in that class. So they focus in on that problem and not realising that actually it's a much bigger question and that is here is a film that is asking people to look at male beauty, to look at storytelling, to look at ideas of revenge, to, you know, through the eyes of the female. That's the radical, mo you know, the moment. It's wonderful. Uh, just referring back to the, the keynote speech that Jill Soloway made. For those of you who don't know, Jill Soloway uh, has come to prominence primarily through her TV show Transparent. Uh, and she speaks very much. The, the, the speech is actually called uh, the, f the Female Gaze, which is a response to the male gaze. And it's talking about that, how we view females, uh, how, they're, how they're viewed through, through the camera, through the audience member, and how the other characters in the piece see them. And it's, it's interesting that you bring that up now in, in terms of that this is a story told through the eyes of a female and how that changes everything. But, but also does... Um uh, that's another one of the, the weaknesses of the whole cinema structure, how many critics and how many directors of festivals are men. So, you know, I mean, look, I adore David Stratton and he gave me my early films a break, but with David's reviews, I mean, I literally go, oh, it's got a beautiful young European girl, he's going to love this one. You know, because um, we all um, go to the movies and we escape and it's our fantasies. But you've got to say then the balance is not necessarily fair. Yeah, because they've actually done the figures on that one as well. It's 85-15. 85% male, 15% female uh, across the board, all the major critics. So everyone pick up a pen and start writing reviews if you have critics, a vagina. more female critics, Do you... Uh, I was going to ask that there is... Um, how can you've you've named as naming it? So what can we do? We're inviting everyone in this room. Is it to to write to Screen Australia and, and tell them the stories we want to see? To write our own stories? To what what what, what would what your would what would your advice be to this room now that you have ears to be able to get things rolling so we can shift this paradigm? I think a few emails to Screen Australia saying what a great initiative it was, but you've got, you know, well done, um, keep it going because we want to see more women's stories and we'd all like to act in them as well. But they might think you've got an agenda if you admit you're an actor, so maybe don't put that bit in. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot that That's this was a fair enough to the agenda. Floor. It's not a level playing <laughs> but, field but, for you but either. I, well, I mean, I don't know what equity's position is on this, but I would have thought the union's got to kind of be saying this is what we, you know, as an industry. Yes, I as think, an industry, you um, should speak There out. is a very powerful union here. That it should be speaking, it should be saying, this is what we think. The Australian Directors Guild, this is what we think. Um, a number of organisations should be coming together at a peak level to actually put the case. Um, I think it's critical. That's one of, that's one of the other... I've got really to say, I'm very disappointed in you all that you didn't support us, the Directors Guild. Um, you know they've brought in a director, to um, a Canadian-American director, to direct Pete and Kang Rock, um, the TV series. And we're trying to fight and say there are a lot of um, directors out there who, are, who weren't approached, who, who could have done it. And um, they've said, well, we had to bring in an international director. And, of course, the joke is they use the female thing. They said, oh, we've brought in a female director. And I was like, well, 
you can't use that as like some, you know, you know, a special thing because actually there are a lot of um, women directors in, in Australia who weren't approached. This is something that's really devastating. It's because it's setting a precedent and the precedent it sets is really tragic and very dangerous. So um, we, need to, uh, we need to keep fighting it, even though at this stage it looks like it's a fait accompli. It really does need to be fought. We're talking about culturally one of our stories, which is picnic at Hanging Rock. How is it that this person can be brought in and instantly learn about our culture and tell that story? It is truly an insult to all directors in Australia. It, it, it is. It goes across the board, I think, with the acting community as well as, you know, as, as a lot of departments. Uh, open yeah. to the floor. Hi. Hi there. Um, my name's Candy Bowers. Uh, I was a top girl at St. Pat's in Campbelltown. Um, <laughs> I'm, thank you. I'm also a part of the Equity Diversity Committee and the New Diversity Action um, Committee for Screen New South Wales. Uh, and I'm a radical black feminist dreamer. I've got a show on at the Arts Centre, Hot Brown Honey. Go and see it next week. <laughs> We're, my production company is one of the only that have ever won a total th uh, theatre award in Edinburgh. Uh, we have all women of colour in that show on stage. Uh, what can I say? I went to NIDA. Of course, I'm a unicorn. Uh, I'm almost 40 and I still uh, get parts in, on, in shows. The last part I got, I won over boys. I was the only girl that auditioned and I played a man in Lilith the Jungle Girl. Um, so I understand what it is to kind of break ground, break all of that. But what I find more than ever for film is the class issue, is money. How to find money, garner money. When I look out there and see, um, you know, the structures that be, I'm from Campbelltown. So for me, more than ever, it's actually about money. I can show that I can get box office results. I can show that, um, uh, you know, Solange and Beyonce showing everyone that black women to black women is a huge growing marketplace. All of those things, the ideas, but I don't have the networks of money. So how do women from my position and, and of what you speak to, I call it intersectional feminist, and I think there is no other type of feminism. But um, what I really see as the issue is class and money and who, because, you know, my dad's not, my dad's actually, you know, a crippled borderline personality because he came from apartheid South Africa. I'm at MTC in a theatre next to a guy whose mum's a movie star and dad's a billionaire, and he's making his first film. Did you apply to for the Gender Matters um, I money? I wrote an article about it. I couldn't find... I, didn't, I don't have the network inside of film to find the woman with enough credits to pair with. No, Gender Matters was the one program... Tragically, it's a one-off. But the one program where they got rid of all of those barriers that yeah, normally apply? My one filmmaker friend and I went in and we looked through all of the credits and we, we didn't have enough to move with it. I mean... But you'd look, you're touching on, on yeah. you know, a, a really core issue. That, that The reality is that it, it does cost a lot of money to make film and television in this country. Um, part of it is that... We're in a state right now of massive dis you know, digital disruption across the board, across all media. Everybody's having to reinvent how they do things and do it in a, uh, an environment where there's reduced amount of access to funds, reduced advertising for television, reduced pre-sales, reduced minimum guarantees. 
yet nothing shifted in terms of the cost of actually making this work. So we're actually caught in a real bind. We still have to go out and find vast sums of money in order to get anything made in this country. My only advice is, uh, you, know, uh, you know, on the back of the bleedingly obvious, it is very difficult to do, is not to do it alone, is to make sure that you're getting together with others, that you've got a team, that you're matching the skills that you've got with others that have perhaps got the relationships or the connections or the network so that you work as a team. And that's the best possible way. And in terms of finding those teams, that's about networking. So um, coming to events like this, coming up, introducing yourself, getting introductions to others and somehow putting together the team that's going to give you the best possible chance to get that idea connected with the money you need to make. Yeah, you should be able to find people. I mean, truly, it's, it's so hard for all of us. I mean, you know, like my Ori Kelly film was not backed by the ABC and, um, you know, it, it's... It's, it's, but the thing that's changed compared to when I came out of film school and I had to find the money to hire a camera to pay for processing, you can shoot something on an iPhone. You just need the ideas. You can shoot something. You can put it up on YouTube. Those two girls that do the cooking send up, um, you know, they've now got a show. So really, it's still about doing. I really feel... Um, yeah, find, you know, find people, network. You can network on Facebook. There are so many things, you know, young filmmakers who want, or I've got ideas like me, or, um, and make something. You know, it doesn't have to, you don't need to do something big to start off with anymore. You can make something fabulous, and you can get, you can get the whole world following you. So you, there are avenues, but yeah, I mean, our industry is in big, big strife. I mean, really... Every Australian, you know, Girl I'm Asleep, which was a beautiful film, got the Cinefest Oz Award. You know, how long did that last? Two mm. weeks. I mean, everything. It's it's very very tough. There's I no huge money. I don't. There. Just speak I to don't one think thing. that. Um, I don't think that we in Australia have capitalised on our ability to just pick up our uh, iPhone and create a scene. Actually, shoot a scene with your sister, with your nephew, with whoever. Shoot a scene and show what your intention is. I think it's really important. Now, travelling the world, I find people in Canada, 15 years ago they were starting to make little films and then showing what their, what their ideas were. Once you have the ability to demonstrate in some sort of visual way what your idea is, it's much more likely to be, to be viewed in a positive way than not. Whereas just turning up and talking about it, no one's going to give you a handout. Let's take that as a given. And so since we do have access to so much technology now, let's get out there and create those scenes that we want. I, I want to say just with respect, I've done all of those things already. I am actually working with the Cates on their new show. But what I'm talking about is the money it takes to make a quality project that actually um, has an international... Um, you know, outlook and global impact. So I look at Issa Rae in the States or these women. So I just want to say with respect, I'm not starting at the level you guys are all suggesting I am. I think it's interesting. But I'm, I'm, I'm talking about a much more <laughs> um, higher level. Well, okay, what, then what you find just producer. What, what you're talking about is what I call the eternal problem of access. What we're talking about here is access. We're talking about access to a pool of money that basically goes to white men. It's really that simple. And given that we still have a taxpayer's um, uh, subsidised system, given that millions of dollars are going out the door year in, year out, right now, 
it is a problem. You do have a problem in terms of getting access to the money. I've got a problem getting access to that money. <laughs> Honey, let me tell you. We've all got a problem getting access to that money. That's why we're here. That's why we're talking about it. That's but why yeah, I think Screen New we South Wales. Yep, we need to start talking doors, about there. it. So now New South Wales, Screen New South Wales are just starting to say, gee, we've had some um, success on the gender issue. Now we're going to open it up on cultural diversity as well. Okay? So those Is two Phil things Victoria are now... in the house? <laughs> ...are now actually happening. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm, so, I'm sorry, Jenny. I don't know what's happening at Film Victoria at the moment. I don't either, so sorry. Um, but... But I trust that if Jenny says it's in train, it's in train. The problem we have is it is a class issue. Basically, if you have money, you have greater ex access to those resources. If you don't, they are diminished. There is no question you can go and shoot you on your iPhone. So can I on the weekend. No problem. I can get a whole group of people to come and work with me for nothing, which I would never do, by the way. I would never do that. Even when I made my student film, all the other students didn't pay their actors or their crew. I paid every single person. And I paid them award rates. Thank you. So, so it is a class issue because basically I still fundamentally believe that if you are going to go out and act like a professional, you pay like a professional. That is how I was brought up as a unionist and as a person who believed that if I'm going to ask a whole lot of people to come and work with me, we're going to do it well, we're going to have a good time, but we're actually all going to get paid something. You cannot sustain yourself in this industry if you don't get paid. Come on, guys, let's get real. Unless you have a rich benefactor who is prepared to actually back you on some level financially, if you want to have a sustainable career in the industry, you have to be paid for the work that you do. And it is about that sustainability. Sure, we will all, in some shape or form as artists, do things for less or do things for free occasionally. But fundamentally, we are talking about the capacity as cultural workers to be paid a fair wage for what we do. Now, if we don't put that on the agenda, we got a problem. Hi, my name's Michael. Uh, I've got a question for the boys in the room, and we're here because we support gender equality and diversity on our screens. We're passionate about it too. I'm an actor and a producer. What can the boys in this room do to help you guys get the boys who are not on board with this heading in the right direction? Because it is something that I have encountered in my professional work. Uh, it's well and good for us to be here and want to help but what what do you what do you see if, if as you're a, a producer give a young woman director a break that's the hardest yeah, thing s s sorry Gillian I should be more specific how would it help I'm asking for some advice because I I'm very happy to do that but I have colleagues who are not so my question is how would you oh, we'll suggest talk to them at the pub yeah okay <laughs> but, uh, but the reality is that you know you do need to get your fellow men just looking at who they're engaging and why they're engaging and why they're not bringing on women. Because the stark reality is that, you know, only 10% of male producers actually work with female directors. If you look at women directors, look at who's actually directing, uh, so who's actually giving them, taking the chance, giving the director the opportunity 
taking that risk, it's usually always a female producer and the stats bear that out. So it's, it's a question of saying, hey guys, about time we change. Look at what's happening out there. The momentum is suggesting that it's time to start looking at who you're engaging. That's great. I just wanted to confirm yeah. that's that's the obvious yeah. choice to me, but I'm asking you guys as women what we can do because we want to see it change as well. I just want to I, um, I be a voice for the boys there in the be room. A I, I wanted to start a cam campaign um, which is also um, targeted towards advertising because I really have noticed, I mean, my, what I, the quest I've been on is why are so many, you know, 50-50 male females coming out of film, film school so many young women winning awards for their short films but not getting the break. And the thing that I've noticed, and we, the Directors Guild, talked to a lot of young women um, filmmakers, and it's that the, the boys were being um, headhunted by production houses. So if you look at, you know, Vendon Ivan or, or Garth Davis, they got a break in advertising, which is really... And I, I'll tell you, in New South Wales, there are 92 male directors registered in production houses to direct commercials and eight women. But also the, the writers of most of the ads in Australia um, is, are nearly all men. So that's, that's the gap where the girls from, the talented girls from film school are falling down a big hole. So we are the, our guild is now lobbying um, the production houses and also advertising and also the clients to just do a really simple thing. It's sort of like the target. It makes people think, which is like, check a reel. How many women did you, reels did you look at? Um, you know, you normally get four people to bid for a job in an ad. Is there one woman? Because it's actually, by counting, you make people think. Um, and, and, we th and we think that's a really important thing to help the talented young women that are coming out of film school. Because the key thing about being a creator, which was um, analysing the British Film Institute report, by the way, it's the same in Britain and it's the same in Denmark, it's the same in America or worse, is a creative person needs self-belief, which is what Anna said, it is about resilience. But it's so much harder for those girls who may have you know, won awards and things and then they see all the boys suddenly... Yeah, getting a job, being able to pay the rent, getting a network so they can then, you know, make their next short film or make a longer film. As Jenny's here from Film Victoria, one other thought that I thought would really help women is if we go back to that 50-minute, like the long short, because who's going to give the girl that made the award-winning 10-minute film a TV job? You know, they're not going to be asked to do Offspring. You know how many times in the last five years I've tried to get the 50-minute back introduced? I cannot get a broadcaster to come on board. I have tried and tried and tried. It's a natural progression from a short film and, and even sort of targeted half-hour anthologies, uh, you know, around themes. Mm. They will not come on board. It's like banging your head. And I still do it, you know, we still have these conversations. But, yeah, I mean, going from, going from a short film to, you know, a half-hour to a 50-minute, you know, and even stuff even for the secondary channels, but they will not come on board. And, and I think it goes back to the same problem. You're talking to a lot of really nice men, mm. but they just don't want to take the risk. So Jenny, it's, it's really, really difficult. Jenny, one of the things, I mean, you know, that's, that's how I got my start. I did a one-hour film called Only the Brave. There is no way I would have been able to do head-on without the success of And Only I did a one-hour film as well. Um, I think we, we need to, we're all going to, the Guild is going to go back to Lobby Screen Australia about that. Because I think, I mean, I see... 
and you know, thank you for your question because it is it's these practical things, you know. We can't just keep raving. We don't want to like guilt trip people. It's practical steps. And if you think about the career paths of someone like Glendon or Garth, who's directed um, Lion, they, you know, they got they did number of commercials and award-winning commercials, and then they got noticed. So you know, Jane gave um, Garth a, a go at doing Top of the Lake. Um, so I think we have to start thinking about that practical. We have to really analyse it. And you know, I'm lucky that I do know a lot of young women filmmakers, and we had a lot. You know, is his name Aletha Leonard, who who won the Chop. Chop Fest Award, which is very, very hard for a girl to win because it's a gag fest for boys and a lot of those winners go straight to directing commercials. You know, it sort of ended up like that, which is also something we should put big pressure on. But she said she had eight attachments and never got a job out of them. And she directed a comedy because, you know, you could say, because I've actually been now talking to some heads of some commercial companies on this mission and they said, well, the female producers at our production house, we went round and asked them and they said, well, because girls aren't good at comedy. Whoa. And female producers, I went, what, Tina Fey? And, you know, and like, Cola. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But maybe their short films, I mean, you know, weren't pushing that way because they did something that was more personal. So the boy that didn't win best post-grad film at VCA that year, um, but, but his film was like a jokey boyo film, he got headhunted, whereas... You know, the girl was waiting on tables for another two years till she got money to do her next short film. So, you yeah, know, I reckon we... I think the 50-minute drama, without, which is like a grant, so it doesn't have, like, out... So they still have their own original voice, would be really help Jenny, women filmmakers. Yeah, I think the 50-minute drama has to be a grant-based thing, not a... Grant. Yeah, absolutely. It, all of it, anything. Anything that Film Vic does is a grant-based. Yeah, so, but so from our perspective, that's not the issue. The issue is... There's no point making something unless it's going to be broadcast and be seen. And, and so you've got to get, you know, you've got to get the broadcasters on board or, you, or you've got to get some... But Jenny, you know, when we, got our, we when we got our grants of those films, I did The Signal Dancer, Steve Wallace did um, Love Letters and Taralba Road, we, in the end, we ran them as double bills. And it, it turned out we actually had audiences around the block. I'm, so I, they I, could I, I'm with you. I'm with you. The problem is, you know, unfortunately, if we were all in the positions of control, whether we were in the broadcast business or in the theatrical business, it'd be a very different picture. So one of the things that we've actually got to do is what we're all talking about, basically, which is actually come up with, you know, it's it's one thing to have targets and quotas, and that's really important, but those won't do anything unless there are strategies there to underpin them. You've got to have the strategies aligned. And so, you know, the natural thing is for people coming out of VCA, you know, VCA, as much as anybody else, needs to be making partnerships and relationships with, with people producing commercials to say, these are the people you need to be watching. And those commercial houses... I agree, they've got to bring them in. Yeah, yeah. And, and, it's, yeah. You know, and, and one of the unfortunate things, too, for particularly for directors, is that the the number of commercials, commercial production houses, particularly here in Melbourne, has, has been decimated in the last three to five years. And so even those opportunities now are, are not coming through, which is all the more reason for, for you, you know, other, other strategies to replace those mechanisms. So we've got lots of things to do, but it all has to be interlinked or we'll still be talking about this problem in another, another 10 years' thing. time. Thank you, Jenny. Another can point can, of, uh, of the sorry, question. Sorry, Nadia. Um, we do have I one more question, but we've actually come to our time now. I so 
do I'm not going to take so, this. Do I'm sorry. <laughs> You're sorry. taking no over. What I was no, going to no, say is the head girl's going to interrupt you here. for oh. one, one last yeah, question. Okay. Thank you for your question. You can so practically have an influence over your male uh, friends. Uh, further to what Sue was saying, it's the attitude about seeing the world through the female eye. The men don't necessarily have that ability. I think you and your friends need, and everybody else needs to talk about, well, let's see, let's bring these female, uh, female filmmakers in and let's just see what their perspective is on this issue. Over a drink, if you want. We'll even come to the pub. Are <laughs> 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 we all there? Uh, what uh, Anna was saying before about unconscious bias, just switching on, becoming conscious about the choices that everyone's making and who's up for the job, who's put, uh, putting their reel forward. I think. So unfortunately, that comes to the end of this panel. Thank you so much. Media Super is the principal sponsor of the Equity Foundation. For more information about the work of the Foundation, visit equityfoundation.org.au or follow Australian Actors' Equity on Facebook and Twitter.